Welcome to the Few Podcast. Never in the field of human contact was so much owed by so many to so few. So you want to become one of the few. You can't skip steps. You have to put one foot in front of the other. Things take time. I have a dream. Have a dream. Hear inspiring stories from the few and learn about what it takes to turn your dreams into a reality. It's a day for all Australians, isn't it? It's a day that brings us all together. Marvellous. Your hosts, Boo and Sean. Hey, Sean, another episode of The Few. I get more excited every time uh, we do one of these. I think this is probably one of the best things we've ever decided to do together, don't you? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you are, you are very excitable at the best of times, but you know. Well, look, you know, as we learned, as we learned in last week's podcast, it's all about the blood type. Be positive, mate. You've got to just keep moving forward, making sure that the, the world doesn't crush you because uh, I tell you what, it's certainly going to have a red hot go. Uh, now, here's someone that the world hasn't crushed at all. And uh, a guess that I reckon that we're going to uh, learn a, a lot about. And we haven't really had anyone yet from uh, the finance side of, uh, of the house. We haven't had anyone from the finance industry. So I'm personally pretty excited uh, to uh, have uh, Steve, Steve Torso on the show. G'day, Steve. Welcome uh, to The Few. Thanks, Boo. Thanks, Sean. Great to have you here, Steve. And uh, obviously, I've known you now for quite a few years, I've probably six or seven years or something like that. So it's been good to observe your journey and and, and obviously be able to, to know you at a level where I think we can ask some uh, some questions that will really give some value to to our listeners today. So, um, I guess and, and we're lucky, as, to, we're lucky as, to speak to Steve, aren't we? I mean, he could he could be in intensive care you know, two weeks from now after he's uh, <laughs> having visited after that he gym worked that, out at yeah. one of the most diseased uh, gyms in in Sydney. <laughs> so fingers crossed that's. Man, I, I was just saying, I've, I've I've received five messages about it already this morning. It's fantastic. <laughs> it shows you where our taxpayers' dollars are going. So it's great. But anyway, so welcome again, Steve. Um, as uh, Boo alluded. To, you know, the corporate finance space is something that I did get into about seven or eight years ago, maybe maybe a little bit longer, uh, and that's where we cross paths. And uh, at that stage, you know, wholesale investor, which is the the business that you run, uh, was fairly early stage. And not not long after that, you know, I got involved and, and invested into wholesale investor because uh, I believed in the platform and what it was doing. Yeah, um, give us a bit of a rundown. What what does what does wholesale investor and now the 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 crisp you know software version of yeah, that definitely. philosophy? What does that do in a, in a nutshell and what is it how does it support business owners so so to simplify we've basically built a, a database of high net worth and professional investors and we match them with high you know sort of emerging growth companies that are effectively raising capital and then that's on the wholesale investor side and with chris that stands for capital raising intelligent investment secondary platform and effectively we're basically just providing an end-to-end solutions which brings intelligence into the into the capital raising process and like for you for most people they think that the capital raising process is very sophisticated and these investment banks are using you know spending millions on different software they use no, mate, they're actually just using Excel spreadsheets. And crazily enough, the whole industry is driven by emails and Excel, Excel spreadsheets, which is, which is a surprise to me. Um, but the, the, world we, the world we love is that, you know, and if you're sort of starting off from a starting point, what I love about what we do is we create opportunities that don't exist. Um, and everything we stand for is about creating an opportunity for tomorrow. Fantastic. And, you know, the one thing I saw in the corporate finance space is that when, you know, business owners would come along and I think I saw probably in a year, I saw over 250 pitches in a year and I got involved with five of them. 
and either through investment or uh, on advisory board role or both mm. investing and advisory board roles. So there's a very, very low caliber of quality deal out there. So if someone's looking to raise uh, some money in their small business, and we're going to get into the, yeah. the concepts around the few in a sec, but I think giving some context of what you do, what would be the three tips that you would give someone if they're looking to raise, maybe the don't do's when you're raising money? <laughs> Man, I'm, I'm glad we've got as much time as possible for this podcast because I can talk all day about it. Wow, no, a million dollar look, question. What is, what, is, what, what is a good idea? Exactly. No, the real, the real simple part, the, the first part I, I, I try and communicate to founders or even to business owners what they need to do, and it's really simple. It's, it's the job that we do every single day. You've got to figure out how to get yourself from being unknown to known, right? So how do you make yourself visible? And then when you are known, you've got to find ways to connect yourself to, let's call it either brands or things that people already aware and understand. So you can do that either via your board and management, you can do that via your customers, you can do that via even the sector that you're in is, is, is one way of doing it. So it's really, if, if you're looking to get the attention of investors, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to go, go from that process of unknown to known. And then after you do that, it's a, it's a process of communicating your message in such a way that the investor understands what your growth path is going forward and how they can potentially exit and make money. The Steve, biggest Steve, challenge- how important is it to, from your perspective to keep things simple? One of the things I, I reckon founders and, and people that have got a big idea or want to get, that they believe that when they yes. put something forward, a business case, it needs to be as confusing and comprehensive and detailed <laughs> as possible. How important is simplicity in this step? So true. It's, it's everything. And it's and the problem is we're too passionate, right? And we want to talk about every part. We want to talk about what we're thinking, our product ideas and all that sort of stuff. And really, that's where we lose it. You know, it's effectively, you've got to, said, so talking about those three sort of four key points for investors and keeping it as simple as possible is absolutely everything. And in fact, scripting it is even better. Oh, and the thing is, it's, you, it's actually a sales process. You've got to sell yes. the concept that your business is a good investment. And it can't be done like an infomercial that goes for like 90 minutes or three hours or something and just beats yes. people in a submission because that's not going to work. And I'm sure you've seen it too, Steve. You know, one time I had these guys that came on, they were pitching and, and I was 20 minutes in and uh, I, was, I was actually uh, sitting with, uh, with our, our mutual friend, Jared, and he, we muted and I said, does that really say slide eight of 96? And we were 20 minutes into like a 45 <laughs> minute pitch. And so I paused it and said, guys, is this really slide eight of 96? Yeah, yeah, oh, we'll get through the others faster. And I said, make it 12 slides and then come back to us and just cut the yeah. meeting off, you know, it's so, like, Overly complicated, overly, like anything. That is crazy. You try and sell someone your product that way, they're, they're going to disappear off into the sunset in five minutes. You know, so we're, we're, just... we're trying to use a new metaphor about what founders need to do. And the, the simplest way of thinking about it, you've got to take this block of marble, which is your company, and you've got to reveal that statue of David that lives inside of it, right, for the for the potential investors to see. And that's that's effectively our job as founders. And yeah, it can be when someone wants to go through slide by slide from a deck, it's like I almost already want to have a nap. <laughs> so, so uh, you, PowerPoint, uh, PowerPoint, oh, pa really death by PowerPoint. A, that's it. That's it. So a, you're, you're really, you, it's, so to me, Steve, you've maintained a level of um, passion, excitement, interest in this space in the entire time that I've that I've yeah. known you. And when when you first when I first met you, I think you started a magazine. 
uh, yeah, a, a physical magazine and things like that. So, oh, you poor guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's my response when I hear someone else is doing a magazine. Yeah, it's like I just I feel instant pain. I just sold mine in February. Thank God. Uh, but, Bless. But so, so that that journey that that you know, and, and obviously why we've got you on the few is because I see you as one of those yeah. few people that really is doing what you're passionate about. And despite having to pivot numerous times and adjust and adapt. Yeah. What what do you, where do you feel that intrinsic motivation is coming from? What what's the driver for you? I think there's a, I think I've got an addiction to this space. But I, I sort of start off when when I started off this thing, I mentioned what drives me is I love the idea that we are creating opportunities for tomorrow, right? I love that what I'm dealing with the companies right now today that you're only going to hear about five years from now, and I'll give you three beautiful examples of that. So when COVID when COVID impacted the, the markets, right? The first company to do an IPO was our old client, and that company was Otomo Diagnostics, right? They raised $50 million and they went on, and effectively that ended up being a 10x result for investors, right? Now they're going to be supplying diagnostic tools for COVID, right? And then you sit there and go, you know what? Do you know what's amazing about what I do is that everything I do is about part of the solution, not part of the problem. And that just sits inside me as a, as a core driver. And then we've now had two more companies that have also done exactly the same, being a row of biosurgery, which we worked with back in 2013. Once again, now the whole market's looking at like, oh, they're so amazing, they're incredible, they're this, they're that. And I said, we, we spot them a long time ago. And then the last one, 4D Medical, when we first worked with them, they literally had an investor invest into their company and then they engaged us straight afterwards. And, you know, they... They, had, they weren't flush with money at all. And the investment monies they received from our investors at that time, you know, was probably some of the most important money that they could have received because VCs weren't backing them um, and, and it was left over to high net worth and family offices. So now you see this company that's providing four-dimensional four, four lung imaging technology across the world and their market cap is $450 million and we're dealing with them when they're a $20 million company. That's astonishing. Yeah. I love that. I love that, that drive. And as you say, it's, it's, you're part of the solution, not part of the problem. And you don't have to come up with the ideas yourself, but all you gotta do is support those that have the ideas to get them out, as you said, to get them to be known. So yeah, that's, that's. Well, my, my job is to communicate them in a way that an investor will understand in the key areas that they're looking for. That's our job, right? Because as you said, founders want to talk a lot about their business. How do we simplify that message and make it digestible for investors to read it, understand it, and then express their interest in that opportunity? That's the sort of skill that we we bring to the table. And of course, we've built a significant investor network. So that helps. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there's got to be some, you know, some times when you were like, oh, this is just too bloody hard, you know, like hitting your head against brick walls and stuff like that. And clearly you still had a bit of motivation, but surely there's some of those times. How did you, you know, <laughs> give us, describe describe one or two of them? And, and You mean this month, last month, the yeah, month okay, before? Yeah, exactly. Like which, which so, month okay. are we talking about? This morning. <laughs> this morning? Yeah. <laughs> this morning, yeah. So Look, I think, what, I think every founder has the same issue, right? At sometimes we get tired, right? And I, I think I've just said for myself, if ever I felt that, if I've ever I felt my motivation isn't at the same level, I've just sort of asked, like, is it I just need some more sleep? Is it there's too much on my plate? Um, and, and it sort of just goes back to, you know, and, and sort of once I sort of simplified, like just a few, probably about a month ago, I hit a point where I almost burnt out, right? 
And it's because I was doing, like when, when you're doing Zoom meetings, it's easy to jump on eight to 13 meetings a day because everything's half an hour and back to back, right? And there's no gap, there's no mental break, there's no anything, you're just on the entire day. And I did that for three weeks straight, three, four weeks straight. And so when, when I sort of just took a week off, I just spent all my time on strategic stuff. So I think just founders giving themselves sometimes that mental break makes a big difference. And, you know, I, I don't know if you, if you, I don't have to wake up every day asking, do I love what I do? Do you know what I mean? It's, it's just in my DNA that this space, like it's, it's perfect, it's perfectly built for my eight, for my borderline ADHD personality. And, uh, and we get to see lots of cool stuff. Like yesterday I was talking to a company that's printing, that's printing bones through 3D printing. Like who gets to see that shit now? Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? And it's a great point that you make, Steve, in terms of being tired, uh, finding things hard. It's funny because we literally just had the conversation 10 minutes before uh, talking to you. And I said to Sean, I go, mate, can you take lead on this? I have just done four podcasts back to back. <laughs> I've had to do another meeting for a, a, a vodcast and I'm just cooked. But now I'm in the conversation. The energy's back up. We're, we're good to go. I was going to say, Sean people... would have said that to you. As soon as I jump on, you'll be back energetic again. I just have that natural ability. No, absolutely, <laughs> mate. The vibe, the energy is coming through. It's, exactly. It's interesting that you, you talk about the, the little bit of ADHD, and we were talking to this about one of our other guests, is that balance between the ADHD and feeding the beast of distraction and yeah. creating the focus. How do you do it, Steve? How do you ensure that you're not stretched too, too thin and that your, your focus is on the right things at the right time? It's difficult, right? Because growth, like a, there was a great principle by sort of Martini. He talks about growth occurs at the border of chaos and order, right? So you don't know, like our job is to push things. We've got we to do the things that no one else is willing to do. That's our job, right? So you don't know what is pushing too far. And the problem is you also don't know what's going to work. Like for every 10 things that you'll try, maybe only two or three that will work. Right. And then unfortunately, that's the, that's the exploration role that we play as founders. So, look, I it, it's a difficult one. It's one that you have to manage inside yourself. I know I actually had a team member that actually asked me about, you know, sort of worried that I was sort of taking on too much. And I was like, that was a that was interesting for me that they actually brought that up. And I thought, OK, maybe I am. And from that conversation, it actually changed my focus and I've started spending a lot more time internally on the strategic aspect with the team rather than that sort of chasing of new deal, new deal, new deal. And that's, that's always a juggle as a founder. I think it's great. It's to do the having good people around you, isn't it as well? I had the same conversation with Andrew and my team on Monday. He goes, mate, what the hell are your fingers doing in everything? <laughs> and he goes, I thought we slapped your hand away ages ago. And I said, well, I'm not doing it on purpose. And then we, then I, we figured it out and, it's, and as soon as it literally within you know two hours of that, I'd like 20% of the weight dropped because I'd realized yeah. the team were asking and I was answering rather than me saying, no, I trust you to answer it. I'd kind of gone back yeah. to default, just get it done mode because we've been really busy with a few events coming up and stuff. And so yeah. it was like, hang on, this sounding, this, this perspective from someone I trust, they to go, hang on, you need to pull your bloody hands out. It's not serving you or anyone else around you. So it drops. It's habitual, right? Stress. It's yeah. like when you're out of routine and then you get and you get back and you start. Yeah, I, I definitely understand that as a as a founder. Yeah, it's it's so it, it's so bizarre having just sold a business at the start of the year and I said, right, I have you know that that silly thought you have, which is I'm going to have a year off. You know, I'm just going to I'm going to slow it down. 
I'm going to relax. And I, I don't think I've been busier than before. I mean, it's. I was, mate, do, I do you wake it. up in the? Do you wake up and look in the mirror each day and just say, "How awesome am I for selling a business in February?" Like, really? <laughs> well, it's settled. Let's just say it was sold before that. Um, it was, yeah, no, it was. It was certainly fortuitous uh, timing, no, no doubt about it. But, and, and and again, the way the way that things tend to work out for everyone involved in that transaction, it was open, transparent. Uh, we maintained a really solid relationship. In fact, it was yeah. these guys right here. And since then, um, Sean and I have been working with them. It's it just keeps going forward. Like the the journey yeah. never ends. Just when you think you've shut the door for the last time and you're at your destination, you're straight out the big bay windows out the back onto the next part of the journey. Yeah. So, how, Steve, you know, the term success is bandied around different ways. Obviously, a lot of people go, oh, success means the private jet and the, the Lamborghini or whatever, and this you can traveling and sit on the beach all day. I think it's a lot of rubbish because success is a state, not a destination or not the attainment of something. How do you personally define success in, in that way of waking up every morning and go, I feel successful? Even though you haven't achieved all your goals, you're tired. You've you've got freaking COVID crap. You have to adapt to your your physical event and, models and I think, online. Sean, this this coming from I think this is going to be really powerful, Steve. I'm I'm set. I'm setting up here, so please don't disappoint. Uh, because <laughs> we've got we've got someone that works in finance, there in the VC world, in in what most people perceive as the as the the bonanza of cash and and an ultimate wealth and success. Um. So yeah, Steve, how how do you how do you measure success in non-financial terms, or is it all about the money? I was going to say, I'm glad you set me up to fail on this one. Um, <laughs> no, basically, look, the, the hardest part, the, the reality is for me, there's no part of me that wakes up each day and thinks that I'm a success. Like, in fact, for me, I like I feel like I've failed in so like for me, it's more I feel like I've failed in so many different ways on what I wanted to achieve. And you mentioned about the money. You mentioned. It, that, that's also not something, you know, I've got targets that I want to hit for the company from a, from a revenue, from a valuation perspective. You know, we, we've got institutional shareholders, we've got VCs as shareholders, et cetera, and got you as a shareholder. Like we're, we're, we're sort of looking at, but there's no, like I, it, it's not something I wake up and thinking about. What I'm super grateful for is that I love what I do. Right. And I don't know if you connect that to success. It's just, I don't, I, there's not a day that I wake up and just go, do I really love this? Like, it's not even a, it's not even a thought. So to me, I think one of the greatest things you could ever find is something you just enjoy, that you're passionate about, that you enjoy doing. And that even, and, and unfortunately, people have a perception about loving what you do means that you're just absolutely happy and stoked every day. And that's just absolute bullshit. Right. Effectively, as a founder, you just, uh, you know, Gary V says best, you basically just eat shit most days. Yeah, right. And then you exactly. wake, and, 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 and then you wake up enthusiastic for some more the next day. And you're like, there's a what's part wrong with me? Yeah. yeah, correct. Like, why am I geared like this? Like, it really yeah. is. Normally, that's, so, the, that's the thing your partner constantly asks you every Friday. Um, <laughs> why are you like this? <laughs> but, but I, I'm sure, uh, but to me, I, I think that's what drives me is that like now we're sitting back and not sitting back, that's the wrong words. But now we're looking <laughs> at our, the, the direction going forward. And it's, I, I think we've built an incredible ecosystem of 30,000 high net worth, professional, international investors, deal makers, et cetera, right? And we've helped raise, you know, hundreds of millions for companies across the years and all that sort of stuff. And 
it's like now all the plans for me is around how we can actually help make our clients more successful and how I can help our clients leverage off the same uh, intelligence that the ecosystem has given me in helping guide me. How can we actually create a, a mechanism for them? And to me, that would give me more excitement than anything else because effectively we're in a unique role where we've got an ecosystem that can make and break a company. Not, not break, but they can make a company, you know, in that we just had a client that raised money from an investor. That investor used to be a CEO of a listed company. That listed company has now gone and acquired that company. You know, that'll happen within a six month period. Like where, what other world do you see that in? Like where you can hear someone investing half a million and then all of a sudden within six months they've been acquired by a listed company. Hmm. It's, it's crazy. And I think, I think that, that I do see a, a direct correlation between that concept of, you know, loving what you do, I think mm. is, is underpins that, that sense of, of internal success. Because if it sucked yeah. every day, if, if, as you said, Gary V's quote, if you're eating shit every day and you hated it, well, you're not yes. going to feel, you're not going to feel any level of success whatsoever. And whereas internally, I think it's that it's got to do with that. If you love it and you're as passionate now, if not more than when I met you years ago, then that's clearly, you're clearly on the right path, you know, and like us, you're geared a bit odd where you like that <laughs> going back in and getting beaten with a hammer again the next day. But there's also, there's also, I think a lot of reward, isn't there in the, in overcoming yeah. that adversity and those challenges. But that's what we thrive for, right? If you think about what's, what's, when you talk about, you know, what's wrong with us, <laughs> like it's, it's basically, if, if everything's going smooth, what do we do? We, we bring on another challenge, right? Because we know that each challenge comes with its own. And it's like that you, you get to a certain level of problem solving and then you just create that next layer of challenge for yourself that, that's got its own next level of problems. Uh, Such a good that, point, that comes Steve. Along we, just, with it. we were just watching a promo from one of the other podcasts and the words that came up, I couldn't, I couldn't hear it. It was just in the background. And one of the words that came up goes, if you want to be a successful business owner, you have to love problem solving. You, you, <laughs> yeah, that's you, fair. You, you just have to, you, you, you get... You get bored if there's not a problem to solve. You need someone to present an issue to you to get the thrill of solving the problem. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, yeah. that's like when my wife asked me when we're doing the caravan trip for a year around Australia, why don't we just why don't you just not work for a year and we'll just travel around? And I said, can you imagine living with me in a caravan and I'm not working for twelve months? She goes, yeah, good point. Because if I didn't yeah, have any problems to solve, what would we do with all our solve, energy? It's like yeah, it's like I would just be a first a pain in the ass for myself, and then I'd be a pain in the ass for everyone yeah. around me. And you're in a tin can that's half the size of this room, you know, so it wouldn't yeah. have gone down well. But it's that thing, like you say, you, I get, I find that it's like, it can be hectically busy. And then the next day it's like crickets. It's like, oh, I've solved all those problems. And then it's like, yeah. it's got to be something else. Go stick gotta, your knife in the front tire. <laughs> yeah. I get my fix yeah. somehow. You know? like, <laughs> I think that's the entrepreneurial double-edged sword. You know, it's great because you want to solve problems, but it can also be really challenging to switch off when you go on a holiday or, you know, I mean, I, I don't know about yourself, Steve, but like I find it really yeah. hard. That's it, mate. That's, I think that's the best point. Like, I was, like, when was the last time you actually had a holiday in the way that someone else would define a holiday? As in, you did not communicate anything about work whatsoever in that time. Just, just It's been a long time. It's been a long time. Yeah. I realised yeah. a few years remember. ago that... Well, to, to make sure that I'm my best for myself and not a grumpy pants for the rest of my family and everyone around me is that when I'm away, I do 30 to 60 minutes of work in the morning. And it's almost like yeah. it, it just 
takes the edge off enough for me to go, oh, okay, I can relax the rest of the day. I can actually be present. And, and one of my clients was talking about the four-hour work week, right, the book, The Four-Hour Work Week. Yeah. And he said, but, you know, but I don't get it. He said, you know, and, and, and it's like, so what do we do? It's about going and sitting on the beach and blah, blah. I said, I said to him, I would last 20 minutes on the beach. Then I'd be like, right, can we get scuba diving? Can we go and do something? Can I go and talk to this guy who runs the pub and, you know, just see if I can help him out? I would just go and like, find the shade. Yeah. <laughs> my, me and my white skin doesn't uh, like the sun too much. Yeah, 20 minutes, that's it. I'm, I need to be doing something with something more substantial. But I think that's a bit, yeah, that's a bit of the entrepreneurial drive of just that problem solving, that momentum we get going forward. It's the same. I think it's the same as as the as those who are training for a marathon or um, gold medal yes. or whatever. They're on holidays, but they're certainly going out for their run first thing in the morning, or they they're doing what they need to do to make sure they're successful. Uh, because if you don't, yeah. you'll be in the game, but you know you're going to be third or fourth on the podium, and who, you know who wants that at, at the end of the day. Hey, Steve, quick question for you. One of the one of the questions we kind of or areas we tend to explore because I guess. In a Jungian, Freudian type of way, I, I'm morbidly fascinated by this. When you were a kid, is this what you wanted to do? Huh. Um, I, actually, I, I remember the first memory I have as far as what I wanted to do was basically, it was like year 11 and I actually enjoyed the marketing teacher. Like I absolutely, like you. I hope you I'm, meant I'm, the I'm, subject I'm, matter. The subject matter, correct, of <laughs> marketing. And um, like <laughs> I'm actually creating a presentation at the moment because when people sort of think, see me and my positioning, their number one thoughts are, okay, well, maybe I came from a wealthy family, maybe I went to private school, maybe I went to a top university, or, and, like, none of those are true at all. So, you know, marketing was my first subject of love, and then I discovered the area of innovation. So, like, that was when I sort of thought about, when I look at the sort of where I actually started, it was really in that area of marketing. Um and then, yeah, just so I'm, I'm very fortunate that I discovered this as an area because, as I said, when what, what, what I love most about this area is actually dealing with other founders. And I've got, you know, massive empathy to a founder that's going through the... When I'm dealing with founders at the timeline I'm dealing with them is actually the, one of their most stressful points in their life. And if you think about it, the, the actual... Typically, when companies are raising capital, they're on that borderline of growth and also potentially going under. Mm right because the business is running out of cash they've got great things happening and so you're dealing with someone at a high pressure time and you're dealing with someone who's put everything on the line so for me i always appreciate that that sort of founder founder mindset and the other part of that is the more you get into this industry people have this perception about venture capital finance and so forth Man, i've met some of the nicest friendliest people and also, like they have a perception about wealthy people and the, the wealthy people. That, but typically I find the wealthiest people I've met tend to be the friendliest. And actually it's the people that manage the money on behalf of others tend to be the most arrogant yeah. in, in, in the way they've dealt. So it's a really funny area. And what's even stranger is I find that I have some of my best relationships actually in Asia. Not even in, like I've got great relationships in Australia, but even better relationships in Asia. And... So I, I, all I would say is that people think that when you go into this area, you have to be incredibly formal. Yes, there's a formality part, but at, you know I, I haven't changed the way I the way I am, and I'm not very formal at all. But you're still you dealing with people. More, you're dealing with people. Correct. Aren't you? They might be people with money or who manage money, but they're still people. But and, and, but they're still but even the people that have made the money, they're actually no different to to to, to any of us. It's just they've had wins. 
You know, it's like literally they wake up every day wanting to, they're, they're buying something, they're selling something, they're buying a business to build. They've got all the different same sort of stuff. And it's just that they've had a successful exit or they've, you know. Yeah, the money's the byproduct ex- of the effort. Uh, and, Correct. And it wasn't, wasn't ever really the main game uh, for, yeah, you, you, you would know more than anyone, Steve, a lot of the people that you come across in these companies, their passion isn't raising the money, isn't the amount of money they're going to cash out with. It's it's the passion for the product or the service that they want to see the baby correct delivered to the world. Um, and, and then as a nice little thanks for all the effort and giving up your entire life at the end when they actually sell the asset, then they can enjoy the spoils, but not to go and buy Maseratis, private jets and everything else. Correct. It, uh, to come back into that uh, philanthropic type of um, uh, view on life. Well, if you if, if if any of your if any of your listeners have uh, misconceptions about what the capital raising process is like and they think it's fun, I'm happy to clear that up for them because let me describe to you what capital raising process is like. Think about like I'm sure you've got your listeners, and I'm sure I know maybe not you, Sean. I'm not not sure about yourself, Boo. But at some stage, you may have used Tinder. So imagine maybe reaching out to a hundred people, right, and then having ninety five of those reject you and tell you why they are rejecting you. So just put that into context, right? That's what capital raising is like. It's, it sounds like, when I sent out, my, sounds like when I sent my demo CD to record companies back in the day. <laughs> yeah. And they what, send it so, back to you, the actual And then one of the five that does accept, one is a psychopath, right? One is... <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and the other part to that is people have the... I always use the Dunning-Kruger effect as an example, right? So have you guys come across the Dunning-Kruger effect? Yeah, so it's a ber- most beautiful example. People have this idea that the less the less you know, the more amazing you think you are. So you come across many founders that have never raised money before that think, okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to throw out, I'm going to send a few IMs out and money is just going to come flowing into me because my business is amazing and I'm amazing. Let's just admit it, right? And so I'm sitting in a box. In my, I'm a legend in my own lunchtime, basically. Correct. And, and unfortunately, the more you get, the more you get into it, you realize how challenging it is and, or, and how, how little you know. So for me, I've started the edu- started doing more education around this as an area. And I rate myself a three or four out of 10 when it comes to raising money. But the reason I give education is because literally no one else wants to do it. Like no VC is going to do it. Actually, the only education you get is how do you raise money from a VC? And the, the biggest myth in this whole space is that in VCs will invest in less than one in 100 companies. In fact, I've met some that invest in one in 800 companies. Most of the money for this space and most of the companies in our area are funded by high net worths and family offices. So, so that's why we start that education around that side. The other myth that people have in this area is they say that, oh, capital raising should only take two to three months. It's absolute <laughs> bullshit. Like there is, there is like literally such a small percentage of people that are able to achieve that. And even when they achieve it, it's still manufactured. They could have been doing all the preparatory work, all the means discussions and so forth, but they only launched their capital raise at a certain time. And it looks like it was done in less than three months. Just like selling a business. Yeah. Just like selling a business. People think, I just want to sell my business in a couple of months time. No, no, no. It's going to take you about a year or more to actually sell your business. You want to do it right. And so, have your expectations. And, yeah. and, you, and you talk about, I've, I've, we've, we've definitely seen some interesting characters in this space, in the corporate finance space. And there's some good friends of ours, uh, Patrick and Amy Kidd, who who have uh, a business <laughs> yes. called Patrick's. And uh, they're actually 
they'll be on one of our episodes of the podcast shortly. But I want to make sure I'm in Mate, Sydney. The most lovable guy. How yes. do you not and like Patrick? Crudest, funniest. And so I want to make sure I'm in Sydney for that one. So uh, I'm waiting till I can get back to Sydney for that. But uh, he actually did a, a, a speaking spot. He came, I did an interview with him and, and Amy uh, at, uh, at an event uh, last year. And, um, and, he was talking about you know, his development and I was a seed investor into that uh, thing. I didn't invest in the yeah. numbers. The numbers, I remember sitting there and ripping them in half and giving them back and going, there's no uh, snowflakes chance in hell of me investing in this based on these numbers. They're all blue sky. And they went kind of white. And then I waited 30 seconds for dramatic effect and said, but the reason I am investing is because I believe in you two. I believe you guys are going to do it. And and from that point, it's about seven and a half years ago, they they came to our event, and I think at that point they just he just knocked back a thirty five million dollar like an investment at a thirty five million dollar US valuation, wow. and wow. and he said, look, I could sell it now. I could walk away with you know nearly thirty million bucks, and I'd be set for life. And one of the members in my audience put their hand up and they said, so you could take this money. He goes, why not? And all he did was he just leant forward, and he just pointed at him. And he said, because I'm not finished, right? Interesting. And it was it's not about the money. Right, he could. They they lived off very little for, and it was remember this time last year after seven years or something was the first time they made actual profit from the business the first month, and they just knocked back an investment at a thirty five million dollar valuation. Right, and but- the the thing is that. And he's one of the best hustlers I've ever met and most yeah. persist, most persistent, you know, and, and absolutely lovable. Like you, you meet him for five minutes, you feel like you've known him forever. But that context of the the reason why, the driver is not the money. And it's very rare. I think even rarer and rarer these days, the driver is not money for like 95 plus percent yeah. of people. It's an, it's an intrinsic, it's another motivator underneath that. And yes, there will be money will come and money will be a result of that outcome when they achieve it. But- and I'm sure you've seen the same thing, Steve, that the types of businesses that you work with and that thematic of marketing has carried right through. It's exactly what you do. You market. You market yourself yes. to potential companies that want to raise money and then you help them market to people that want to invest in good deals. And so that thematic has come from, you know, year 11 and whatever it was you said about your marketing teacher. But um, <laughs> but that I think that, that whole... Um, uh, that that whole piece now is is the majority of people. You know, I mean, tell me tell me if I'm wrong, but the majority of people you work with, if not all of them, are actually driven by something more, aren't they? That's the thing. Like, it's it's a really weird thing in that, like, whilst we've all you know, as part of what we do, we'll be setting budgets for ourselves, we'll be setting valuation targets we want to achieve, and so forth. But yeah, yeah, absolutely spot on. And there's something else that's driving most of the founders. You, of course, do have, you know, some that take that sort of uh, approach where it is sort of just the just the main. But when you actually, if you look at that, what's the biggest problem most founders have when, they, when they're raising money is they're talking too much about the product, right? And that's because ultimately they just said they're, they're, they've got their vision for what they want to build as a company, as a product, as an offering and so forth. And they just work day in and day out to build that. And you're right, money is the byproduct and they know there's steps to what they have to do as far as building the valuation, building the profile of the business. But it's not, I, I doubt they wake up each day going, geez, if I just do this, I'm going to be worth this. That's not the mindset at all. It's like, what else can we build to add value, to, to give more value to, the, to, to their customers, to build their presence, to expand to another, to the, to another country? You know, that, that's what basically sits at the, at the driving mindset of most founders. 
Absolutely. And I'm seeing the same thing with all of the clients that I work with. And I'm sure Boo, it's the same with you, that there's this, this passion for what they do first and foremost as a passion for, well, as you, you said, creating a you solution. You certainly notice the difference between the two approaches, that's for sure. And you see that throughout the entire organization in terms of the, the way people approach their day-to-day. And I, I always find those uh, research papers really interesting on the downside of financial incentives where the, the and the behaviors and the Royal Commission here in, in, in Australia around the banks uh, and, and the, the dark side of money and, and, I remember reading an article once about the, the problems of a meritocracy when you compare it to an aristocracy and that an, an aristocracy is within itself appreciates they're lucky to have the money. They're lucky to be in charge and therefore they, they get the responsibility. Whereas the meritocracy is very much about the, the, the nouveau riche, the fast money uh, and not necessarily, and not appreciating the luck that occurs. And, and no doubt, Steve, you've seen it on a number of occasions where you might look at two companies at face value. They're, they're the same and they're as valuable as each other, but for a stroke of luck, one fires off and, and has an incredible journey and the other one doesn't. Um, you know, not in your portfolio. No, I've seen it. Like I've got a funny story for you. We rejected, uh, I said we rejected a, a, a company that come through and I thought it was the funniest thing that I've ever seen in my life, right? And this was about sort of 2013. And I went and Googled them this year and realized that they'd actually gone on to be a success, right? Now, what this company does, is I kid, kid you not, they analyze dog shit to see who has been the owner of that business. And I was like, when I first read it, I was like, that is just the craziest thing in my life. Who is, go- who is going to pay to have someone to analyze dog shit to find out who's the owner of that dog? Lo and behold, governments did. Wow. <laughs> Local councils did. So, you know, it said you, you see so much crazy stuff. And look, I, it's one of the hardest things trying to pick what a, what a success story is going to be. But as I said, going back to what Sean said about Patrick, like it is that the founder has a lot to do with it and said, like Patrick's hustle is just a whole nother level. Like I don't know anyone that's clocked up as many air miles as what that guy has in, in making sure that business is a success. It's it's interesting. I watched the, I don't know whether you've seen the In Excess miniseries, the, like the, I don't know, two or three episodes. Uh, and, and again, the, the fact that they would gig at any single venue that was put in front of them, they would get on the road, they would get that. And they were on the road for years and years and years, two, yeah. three, four times a week. And then they became the overnight success that, and that's, it's funny, you know, that these stories are, are everyone knows it, but for some reason people, and I don't know why, I don't know what it is about the human race. It's kind of like when there's a pathway that leads to a road and then it turns left, but for some reason there's, everyone goes across the grass and makes a dirt track. What, what is it about the it, human it's, psyche it's, that, it's, that doesn't do what it knows it needs to do to be successful? Well, the challenge is the media does blow up the stories where there's been fast paths to success, right? Like, as you talk about being a, like you're talking about, you know, like how can, like for me, right, how can I see myself as a success when every day I'm reading in the news about Afterpay, who was launched in 2015, is now worth $25 billion. Like that is, like, and you talk, that, that's what everyone looks at and thinks, okay, that's what I want to do and yeah. that's what I want to be. Like that is a, a one in a you know a one in a million ride uh, from a from a founder perspective, but it's 
And I, I think that the biggest challenge in my space is that there's been a lot of people that have gone from high profile salaries because they thought being in a startup was cool, right? Not expecting how much hard it is and how, how much resilience you actually need to have any sort of success or any sort of traction whatsoever. And then as soon as they have those difficult times, then all of a sudden they just think, okay, it was definitely much easier in a corporate job. And then they, they, they quit. Well, uh, something I'd be keen to know, Sean and Steve, is um, because you come across so many founders and with this in mind is, you know, what exploring the common traits between successful yeah. successful founders. Because, you know, if you're talking about investing one in 800 businesses, you know, nine out of 10 businesses fail more than anyone, uh, Steve, uh, you would see yeah. the difference between winners and losers, you know? Yeah. So, and yeah, Sean, so, so do you. So I don't know whether you want to run with that one, mate. So, Steve, one of the things we see you know, a lot, obviously, in, in dealing with people, and I'll get your take on this, is you know you could have that high flying founder that's you know got the the shiny teeth and the perfect suit and the <laughs> Rolex watch, and they come along and they try and raise money, but it just falls flat. Right, compared to that person who might be a bit of an underdog, may not show up as clearly, but they've clearly got a better a, a better deal, better better thing. And, that, and those people that end up being successful, they'd be themes there'd be there'd be common traits what what do you see in those people that that aren't just all a facade they're actually yeah. getting out there they're doing the work you know what do you see it would be common traits between those that actually go on and achieve something you know something incredible so the the first one i'll kick off with something you talked about before is just that ability for for resilience is one of the biggest ones uh that we see and then also um the the their ability to bring networks into their opportunity. Because let's be honest, success uh, is, is impossible by yourself. Absolutely. Right? So the, the networks that you can attract to your business can actually leverage the energy that you bring to the table. So some of the most successful companies that we've seen, the, their ability to attract people that have either great skill sets or incredible networks has been the difference that makes a difference. And the easiest thing, the, the best thing I could sort of, you know, leave your listeners with is that as a founder, you have an opportunity that one person, the role that they can play is can be transformational in your entire business. And the challenge that we have is we don't know who that one person will be. So our consistency and our diligence in making sure that we consistently stay focused on our vision, push forward, but also continue to attract new people into our networks and give out and make ourselves visible enough to attract those people. To me, that is the difference that, that makes a difference because there's only so much you can do by yourself. You know, you need your team, you need your, your, your external stakeholders. And in other ways, shareholders can make a massive difference to the growth of your business and the impact that you have. So, I, I think they're some of the things that I've seen, you know, in, in my time that have added the most value to, to, to companies that were, so it's not, you know, it's that, that, what that energy that that founder brings to the table and how they attract people is just so powerful. And it's, and it's that, it's the founder, I, what I've found too is it's invest in the investments that I've made, I've always invested in the people first, you know, yeah. like investing in the wholesale investor, investing in Patrick's, other things that I've done. It's always about the people first. Yeah, the deal might be like, hmm, anything that goes beyond about 12 months is probably just made up blue sky because you just don't know, right? Because a pandemic could yes. come along and change stuff, right? Correct. But 
if you believe that there's something that these people can do and from an investor's perspective, it's like there's something about this person that's different. There's something that stands out. They're, 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 they're yeah. a person of their word. They're someone who's put in the hard yards. They're committed. They're focused, you know, and it's, it's for me, it, 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 it hinges upon and in the reverse, you need to be that person for the investor. You need to be that one that stands out as like, wow, this person's really passionate about what they do. They've put in the background. Mm. There's no ego coming to the table of bravado. They're, they're being optimistic but realistic at the same time and not having yep. a blue sky hockey stick that goes vertical in five minutes. We're going to make a billion dollars, you know, and like, like which we've seen so many times in deals. Um, it really is about how you show up and that will attract your network, won't it? It'll attract those people you need in your environment that will then open and show doors. up daily and show up daily that's the that's the key just showing up everything and it's the the that ability to have that energy regardless of what shit you're dealing with internally i, th I think is a big one fantastic fantastic well there's a question we like to finish on or a variant of it but uh it's if you could take some advice the best piece of advice that you've learnt uh, in recent years and go back to a younger version of yourself and impart that piece of wisdom to yourself, what would that piece of wisdom be? <laughs> um, the funniest thing that just came to my head was start a fund. <laughs> that Invest was the in first thing that came to my head. You, you, you aren't a finance <laughs> yeah. nerd at all, are you? You're not a finance nerd no, at all. I say, no, the, the, I, say, I say that because I'm literally off the back of just realising that basically with our clients, we've had three clients that have gone on to become unicorns. We've had dozens of like i'm talking even close to 50 that have gone on to successfully either ipo be acquired or or merger and we've had you know about that same amount that have gone on to sort of 5x to, to 10x returns so in purely in my business i would say that and going back to the real younger self um it is that you know it's everything will be okay in the sense that I will find what I love doing because the biggest challenge for me sort of before starting WI, even before in getting this area was that as everyone goes through, I didn't know what I loved. I wasn't able to get to go to university because I got really poor grades sort of after high school. And um, yeah, there, and so there, there is a gift that lives inside of me and that, you know, I will get the opportunity to use it, I think is the, 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 the advice for myself. That's fantastic, Steve. So, well, really uh, different, in-depth. Uh, as I said, I love, love bringing the finance nerd out in you. Uh, it's, it's great to see you again. And um, <laughs> I don't necessarily miss that space anymore, but um, I, I do have someone to call on when, I, when, uh, when, I, when someone needs some capital. But uh, and I really appreciate you sharing your story and your time today, Steve. And, uh, uh, of course, um, you know, if, uh, if anyone's looking to raise some money, just, just reach out to Steve at Wholesale Investor and um, I'm sure he'll be able to uh, give you a few tips on what to do and more so what not to do uh, to actually stand out exactly. and be, be one of those companies that can, can literally go and make a dent in the world, make an impact. And, yeah, the financial piece is a byproduct of that. But if you really do have passion for what you do and want to make a difference, then uh, you, you need other people to, to, to stand on their shoulders to grow and develop. But uh, uh, unless you want to add anything, Bill, I'm going to say massive no, thank you, No, I was going to say thanks for the insights, but more importantly, thanks for waking me up, mate. And that wraps up another episode of The Few. Thank you to our partners, Afterburner, for team building, development, and alignment. We understand now how important it is to have the right people around you. Get them on board with where you want to go. Momentum Media, the largest industry publisher in the country, connecting your business to the Australian community. 
ICMI, Australia's premier speaker bureau, representing the few that do fulfill their life's purpose. And finally, Sean's Inner Circle, the business coaching organization for small and medium enterprises looking to make that next step. Thanks again for listening in and downloading today. Please leave a review on whatever platform you are currently listening to this podcast and reach out to our partners who can help you make the transition to the few. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Awesome, Steve. We'll chat to you soon. See ya. This has been The Few Podcast with Boo and Sean. If you've got value from this episode and you would like to support us, please share it with your friends. If you're posting this on social media, use the hashtag The Few so we can see who's listening. The Few Podcast is recorded at Momentum Media in Sydney, Australia. To listen to more episodes, visit us at fewpodcast.com and make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. Dream big, keep pushing, and one day you can become one of the few. We'll see you next week.